Welcome to the Cultural Cultivators podcast by Belay Creative and Cultivate Labs, where we explore the diverse and dynamic world of Filipino-American culture. In each episode, we delve into various aspects of Philem culture and speak with entrepreneurs, leaders, artists, and creators who are shaping and pushing the boundaries of their respective field. Our goal is to not only showcase the richness and diversity of our culture, but also to foster a deeper understanding and appreciation of the ways in which these cultivators shape our world. Join us on this exciting journey as we explore the cultural landscape and cultivate a greater appreciation for the beauty and complexity of the Phil M experience. Follow us on all social media at Belay Creative or Cultivate Labs, both with a K. Allison Human is a multidisciplinary artist based in Oakland, California. Her distinctly gauzy art style is what she likes to call etherealism, a blend of ethereal realism. Whether she's creating delicate visions on canvas, augmenting reality through tech, or crushing massive walls with a spray can, she often draws on the human condition to create colorful mashups of abstract and representation. She balances her time between exhibitions and creating public works while also collaborating with some of the world's top brands, which include the Golden State Warriors, Adobe, Nike, Google, L'Oreal, and Sony Music, to name a few. Her work has found homes in the collections of Ava DuVernay, Usher, Pink, and Swiss Beats. In our conversation together, she talks about the role improvisation and music play in the process of creating her art. A lot of what I create starts with like a simple gesture, usually with spray paint, where I'll just like create a line and it'll be like this curvy line or whatever, and I'll whip it quickly across the canvas and and followed by drips and other sprays and so it's it's really improvised so I would say like my work or my process is like a combination of chaos and control so it starts out being like really like that's when I like to listen to music and just kind of go for it what I enjoyed most about our conversation was how real and vulnerable human got around the challenges of being a successful artist mom she also spoke on finding the balance between being true to herself and her artistic vision versus working on commission pieces for some of the biggest names and brands out there today. Human also dropped the curtain behind her immersive art experience, Homebody, that uses AI as a tool to explore the social emotional dimensions of isolation during the pandemic and the grit it took to pull it off. You can find her on Instagram at human, H-U-E-M-A-N underscore, or on her website at human.art. So I ask everyone this question because we started with Ate Allison in our first episode, and I sort of want to keep it as a recurring theme and sort of the first check-in question for our guests. And the question is... Which ancestor or ancestors would you like to call into this conversation today in space? When you say ancestors, is it like, because it sounds like it's so deep in the past. I'm like, I don't know my ancestors. It could be anyone that's passed on and transitioned. Oh, yeah. It could be even maybe someone that maybe you didn't know. I'd bring my brother. His name is Romeo by Jojo and my grandma and my husband's mom. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Now, I wanted to ask, because this is a Filipino-American podcast, mm-hmm. and you are Panay. Yeah. Grew up or just born in Daly City? Just born in Daly City. I don't really f- have any connection other than that. But, Got it. Uh-huh. But you grew up in the Bay? In the Bay, yeah. So I grew up in, like, Fremont, Hayward, Union City nice. area. I was there all through, like you know, childhood, high school. And then I moved to LA for a long time and came back to the Bay almost 10 years now, so. Oh, wow. Yeah. Back to the roots. Mm-hmm. 
And I wanted to know, because there's so many Filipinos both in the Bay and L.A., mm-hmm. how do you bring Filipino-American heritage and your Filipino culture and channel that into your art? Yeah, I always try to channel a little bit of my upbringing into my art. I'm so ashamed to say that like, I'm very much more on the Americanized, Westernized side of things. I don't speak the language and there's just like so much like I don't know. And so when I do incorporate elements of like Filipino culture, it's like my way of trying to reconnect and reclaim because yeah, I feel like with a lot of Filipinos, at least in California that were born around my time, there was this push for parents to not speak to their kids Mm -hmm. in the language so that we could, I mean, I think Filipinos, you know, like assimilate into American culture so well. And with that, you know, a lot of us have lost our connection to our roots and Mm -hmm. stuff. Yeah. So I'm not an exception to that. I'm definitely, I, it's funny. um, I, (laughs) I was so embarrassed to say this, but I want to share it. I was asked to do a voiceover for I think ABS-CBN or TFC. Are they the same thing? Yeah, yeah, okay. (laughs) It was like 10 years ago and it was for some program. Maybe it was like a home shopping network type thing. I don't even remember what it was, but I had to say things out loud. (laughs) And I remember seeing everyone cracking up on the other side of the booth. And they're like, that's not how you say it. And I'm just like, oh God, this is so cringy. (laughs) And so, you know, like... Yeah, I don't know how to pronounce the words. Like, I don't have a lot of, you know, a lot of knowledge in our Filipino background. And so when I do create, I do just try to incorporate, like, elements. So recently, in the last five years, I started painting on organza fabric, which is what's used for, you know, the Barong Tagalog and, you know, the uh, Filipiniana, like, blouses and dresses and stuff. And... At first, I wasn't trying to do that to connect to being Filipino, but I'm realizing now that the way that I was drawn to that texture and like the see-through fabric was because I've always been obsessed with the way that they look. I was always obsessed with the way the embroidery stood out from like the sheer, you know, textiles. And I've always thought that was really cool. And so... I was trying to find a way to recreate it without doing embroidery because I'm too lazy to learn. And I'm a painter, you know, at the root of all of it. So I paint with acrylic and spray paint on top of organza as a way to get that same sort of effect of like this opaque design on top of sheer fabric. And so I actually just started a Barong series of paintings. I'm going to be part of a show, like a Filipino diaspora themed show at the Forest Lawn Museum in Glendale next year. So I wanted to start creating just works that tie to my roots of being, you know, Bay Area born Filipina. Because I also feel like every painter, like every piece that a painter makes is in some way, shape or form a self-portrait of the person who made it. Mm. Because, you know, like that's years and I mean, decades of your background and your skills and your influences all coming together in one piece. So I feel like this series is in more ways, you know, like kind of self-portraits of me. Mm -hmm. So I'm also incorporating like my childhood upbringing of being like a Catholic school girl and growing up in those spaces and church. And it's funny, I've been really getting into making paintings that are influenced by like religious themes or more so the textures that I would find in religious paintings, like the robes, because like everyone in biblical times is wearing robes. (laughs) (laughs) And growing up, because, you know, Filipinos, most Filipinos are very Catholic, at least the ones that I know. Like if you go to the Philippines during Easter, it's wild. Mm. There's like the processions and there's people with the self-flagellating, you know, hitting their backs with the crown of thorns. And I went to the Philippines when I was, I mean, I've been to the Philippines a bunch, but I remember going, I think around the time I was 10, 
during Easter and seeing this in person. Wow. And it was traumatizing. That would blow my mind. It was, yeah, because like, it was weird because my parents would be like, or just my relatives are like, look, this is what they're doing um, because it's Easter and it's Good Friday right now. And so we're having this, I don't need, I don't know when the processions happen. I'm just saying things, but they would be like, isn't this amazing? And, you know, this is what we're doing for our Lord. And in my head, I'm like, I don't know, this is scary. This is really scary. And so growing up as a kid in Catholic school, with those images, because I'm so visual, like there was a statue of the Virgin Mary crying blood in the <laughs> Philippines, and that was like a thing. And I remember seeing that, like, I don't want to see this ever again. This is scaring me. And growing up with those visuals made it really scary for me to be in church or to look at like statues. Mm -hmm. And I think also because I'm an artist and I'm visual. A lot of the statues were always like kind of wonky looking, like the faces, like it was kind of cross-eyed or it was just, you know, like, or maybe the proportions weren't right. And so I'd always feel a little uneasy looking at like religious, like, you know, iconography and stuff. It always made me feel a little weird. And so I remember being in kindergarten and there was a statue of the Virgin Mary mm -hmm. in the office. If I saw it now, I'm just like, okay, it's the statue of the Virgin Mary. She's like stepping on a snake and, you know, but like that face, that emotion on her face where she's like looking up at the sky. It was always like, why does she look? I think it's the emotions because I'm also very sensitive to emotions mm -hmm. and the emotions of other people or even emotions in art. So when I'm seeing statues looking like forlorn or... You know, and I'm like, whoa, what is she looking at? Why does she look sad? Yeah. And so I remember passing by the statue at school and covering my eyes. Like if my mom would pick me up, I would put my head in her arm and just kind of like tuck my head away. And I remember one day I was like, you know what? I can't be scared. This is me at like five years old. But I can't be scared of the statue. And so I would look at everything but the face. So I would look at the fabric mm -hmm. and I would look at oh you know these robes actually look really cool and this part that's gold looks cool and all of that started to really influence the way that I use fabric in my work because if you look at my work you'll see that I use a lot of like fabric shapes and so I like to pull from like baroque art and renaissance art and a lot of just like biblical depictions in art history mm -hmm. and kind of take cues from the way that they portray fabric mm. so my art it dips a lot into like spirituality and religion and transcendence mm -hmm. and I don't know long way to say my art brings together my Filipino upbringing with my Catholic upbringing and yeah no I remember going to homebody mm -hmm. at still space in Berkeley and feeling like it was a spiritual experience mm -hmm. and just each room being a different transformation yeah you know and ending with the butterfly and I do remember each and every one of your pieces having that flow uh -huh. in it and mm -hmm. feeling that flow yeah and I love how you evoke those feelings with folks especially with everyone just sort of emerging from the pandemic uh -huh. Uh -huh. and getting out of our cocoons Mm -hmm. Just like a butterfly. Yeah. And yeah. that was like one of the first public spaces that I actually allowed myself to go to because I was pregnant at the time. Oh, wow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I was like super. I was like almost a third trimester. Mm -hmm. And it was, I feel like it was life changing mm -hmm. to experience that. But I kind of want to go back because you talk about, you know, being in L.A. for a certain amount of time, maybe a decade or more. And I want to know how was growing up in the Bay, but then moving to LA, how did that influence your art? That's a good question. So I moved to LA because I went to UCLA for college and I did try like for a few months after graduation to move back home, but I was like, my time in LA is not done yet. So I went back and I've always had 
a fascination with like graffiti and just like hip hop culture. I wouldn't say I'm like the biggest hip hop head or anything, but I mean, growing up Filipino in the Bay, like mm-hmm. that's kind of what we grew up with, you know? And so and it's a big influence. And so graffiti especially was really fascinating to me. And so when I went to LA, street art was everywhere. And when I was down there, that's when I was like showing in group shows at like galleries and stuff. So I was like meeting a lot of like graph heads and, and street artists. And it was really cool, like being in this scene it's the first time I really felt part of like a scene was the LA art scene. And it's so rich and diverse. And because so many of the best artists in the country, I feel like at some point moved to LA, just like anyone in the creative industries, like someone at some point is like, I got to go to LA to pursue my thing. Mm -hmm. So I was around a lot of people from everywhere that were all creating and it was really inspiring for me. And I was always interested in starting to paint murals but it was really intimidating for me because I mean like painting big walls is intimidating in itself and when I was down there I saw murals painted by women and met some of those women and so I was like damn if they could do it I could do it too it was really motivating to see just women in those spaces The people I was meeting, a lot of them were traveling to make art. Mm. And that became a dream of mine. Once I knew, I was like, wait, people are like, you're like flying out like to different countries and cities to like make art. And when I found out that people were making a living doing that, like that blew my mind. Mm. And so I kind of made it my mission to like get into muralism, not just for the traveling thing. Like I love the idea of a mural taking up an entire side of a building Because that is in itself another immersive experience, Mm -hmm. like especially when I'm painting a wall that's way bigger than me and I'm just painting like one small leaf on a huge gigantic wall. I'm like deep in it and everywhere I look is paint to either side of me. And so a lot of that was really cool to me and I wanted to pursue more of that. And I think also, I mean, not to like dis LA because I love LA but I actually went to a talk with Shepard Ferry and Moby Mm. where they talked about why is it that like creativity is so like rampant in LA like why do all the most creative people get drawn here and they were talking about I don't know like LA is not very beautiful (laughs) when you look at it from I mean there's beautiful areas sure sure like you know and there's nature and stuff but like on the whole of it there's just a lot of suburbs a lot of gray big sprawling city with just a lot of concrete and buildings and it's not like when you drop into like San Francisco and you see Victorians, you know? Um, and bridge. so I think their point was that people come to L.A. and they get inspired by it's just how bleak a lot of it is. So they are inspired to create beauty there. Mm-hmm. And so that's why it is such a destination, because like people are out there just creating really cool spaces and experiences and stuff. So I think a lot of the beauty in L.A. does come from the people who make it. Yeah, I can see that, mm-hmm. especially with coming from New York for 10 years. Oh, are you from New York? Well, I lived there for 10 years. Similar like you. Mm. I left here, lived there for 10 years, and then just recently came back. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it was like, why does everyone gravitate towards New York? Yeah. And it's the hustle. Yeah. Yep. The hustle, the energy. Yeah, for sure. I do remember, because I really wanted to go to UCLA. That was like my first choice school. And I was there for, I think... During my second year, I called my mom crying and I was like, I want to come home. Like, I want to try to see if I could transfer. And I think I noticed that about a lot of people I knew that moved from the Bay to L.A. Like they tried it and they're just like, "Eh, not for me. You know, I think because the Bay has like such a rich culture, like there's definitely something different about living here. Mm -hmm. So I think when you move to L.A., it's kind of like, oh, (laughs) This is it. (laughs) And like I said, like, it really is the people who make it Mm -hmm. down there. It took me, I think, three or four years to finally really embrace L.A. And by the time I left it, I was in love with L.A. I was actually sad to leave. Yeah, it's just different. It's a different beast, you know. 
Yeah, same with New York. Yeah. I think I could survive New York. Really? It, like, puts you through the ringer. Oh. <laughs> you really have to sacrifice. And so would you say, like, you were, like, in love with it by the time you oh, left? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. People say, how do you compare? You can't compare. Mm-hmm. It's like apples and oranges. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. New York is a completely different yeah. energy. What were you doing in New York? Acting, writing. Oh, directing. wow. Cool, cool. Yeah. And I know you've talked about this in other interviews, but I kind of want to ask, because I'm so into like intuition and mm-hmm. feeling creativity, can you just speak about your process as a painter and muralist and how you utilize your own intuition to create your work? Yeah. A lot of what I create starts with like a simple gesture, usually with spray paint, where I'll just like create a line and it'll be like this curvy line or whatever. And I'll whip it quickly across the canvas and followed by drips and other sprays. And so it's really improvised. So I would say like my work or my process is like a combination of chaos and control. Like that's when I like to listen to music and just kind of go for it. I usually dance like in the studio with music on while I'm like creating and I just like get like really into it because that's the most free I feel mm-hmm. is I'm just like letting my body and the colors like kind of lead the direction of where the piece is going. But then after that, I start to craft the foreground on top of it. Mm-hmm. So that's where the control comes in. I'll usually take a picture of that piece I've just painted, take it to my iPad and then draw on top of it. The background's like a big part of it, but then also like the foreground is like where I'm really like refining my concept and then just, yeah, just painting and rendering out. And that's when I'm listening to podcasts because podcasts help me to concentrate because then I'm like just listening to someone else talk because then if I listen to music during the control portion, I'm going to keep getting distracted by like, oh, I don't feel like hearing the song right now. But like if I'm listening to a podcast, I can just keep painting throughout the entire podcast. So it's two very like separate and different moods. But yeah, that's usually how I like to approach it. And yeah, like I feel like I'm really like channeling like energy when I'm like doing the chaos part. And it's not always like a two part thing where it's like the chaos and then the control. Because sometimes I come back and I'm like, I need to destroy this. Mm. Not fully destroy it, but like destroy it with more color. Like it needs a little more chaos. And so it's usually like I feel like a conversation with myself and the piece of like going back and forth and like, you know, kind of wrecking it a little bit and then going on top again. And I honestly feel like I have like sometimes like four different paintings in one piece and four different like styles, too. Because there's like the abstract action painting expressionist style. But then there's also like the parts of it that are really like inspired by like old master Baroque or like Renaissance type stuff. I don't know. Yeah, there's a lot that goes into it. (laughs) So what's on your playlist? Oh, God, I hate this question because it's like, <laughs> we got to ask. Oh, my God. Well, I was listening to the new Doja Cat song all the way here. I don't know if you've heard it. It's called Attention, which is so funny because I don't know if you follow anything about her. A little bit. She I guess she was like talking a lot of crap about like F you guys like you guys bought into my first. I don't know how many albums she's had like two. You guys bought into like my pop stuff, but now I'm going to do me oh. and I'm going to, you know, like I remember being a little annoyed because I'm like, why are you insulting like your fans? Yeah. <laughs> but it's one way to do it. She came out with this song. I was like, oh, I get it. And then I felt it because there's like a very 2000s like vibe with it and like her lyricism because she's been very much like a pop singer mm-hmm. type who raps but now like she's like a rapper I loved it and I really connected with it because she's talking about like here I did what I had to do to get your attention and to make my money Mm -hmm. and like earn that bag and now I'm gonna go over here with my bag and do what I want to do and I felt that so much because I feel like that's kind of been me Mm -hmm. in my career is I've had to like take certain opportunities I mean, it's still kind of what I'm doing now is I have to take these more like corporate 
opportunities, these collaborations with brands. I don't want to like talk down about these brands because obviously I'm like really happy to work and to get these opportunities, but that's not necessarily what I want to do. Like, I don't want to, and I love how this is a question about like, what are you listening to? And I'm like talking about something completely (laughs) different, but I've been doing a lot of, yeah, just like working with brands and going along their brand guidelines Mm -hmm. or like, don't make anything to this or to that because you know, like we're trying to keep it light or, you know, and there's so much back and forth because there's always someone who has to approve it at the end of the day. And as an artist, like I want to be able to fully express myself. And I've sometimes have gotten into it with some of these brands, but at the end of the day, it's their campaign or it's their whatever they're trying to sell or promote. So it's funny, like I preface this with, I love everything I did with the Golden State Warriors. So I designed their jerseys for this past season. Yeah. Yeah. I created for them and, you know, full disclosure, I got a fat payout. And so I took that and I put it into Homebody. Nice. So Homebody was my that was Doja Cat. Actually, yeah. Yeah. Our little Nas X. Yeah, yeah. right. <laughs> yeah, because like I said, I do tap in a lot to the spiritual stuff. A lot of what I did at Homebody was like about processing trauma and loneliness yeah. and a lot of that. And what brand's going to fund that? You know, yeah. like, well, I don't know who would give me the opportunity to talk about all that in the way that I wanted to. And so... You know, I collaborated with Cecilia from CL Space and I was just like, this is what I'm going to do. And she's like, all right, cool. So I created this like huge thing and I like basically bet on myself by putting in like a huge portion of what I made from the Warriors thing into this project because I also wanted to start really getting into more immersive Mm -hmm. experiences. Yeah, I've been into immersive before immersive was even like a trendy thing. I mean, this is why I love Disneyland. We are talking about Disneyland earlier, but like Disneyland as an immersive, like I'm just on these rides like, damn, this is hella immersive. Like, I don't even know where the lights are. Where's Rise of Resistance. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was really on the Rise of Resistance looking for the projectors. I'm like, where did, like, how'd they how do this? this? Work? Yes. I'm very much a nerd about like all that stuff. And so, yeah. And then it's funny because once I did that, musical artists have also been like, can you do this for me? Can you do it for my set design? Can you, you know? And so now all these doors have been opening because I decided to bet on myself in that way. I love that story. Thank you. That's so inspiring. (laughs) Because as a female creative, I feel the same way Mm -hmm. as a filmmaker. Mm. You know, you hear about like all these folks that basically have to put it on their credit cards. Yeah. 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 Short films. Right. They have to risk it and bet on themselves. Yeah. And then people can say, oh, we see you have a vision. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now we want to invest. Right. Yes, exactly. And I remember thinking like, oh, my God, because Homebody was such a huge undertaking. It was huge. And I'm still like, I can't believe we pulled that off. Like, that was really crazy. But I remember there were moments where I just wanted to pull the plug. Like, I don't know. I don't know if I can do this. I was like really scared, and especially with all the money that I had put into it. Because, like, a smart person would have been like, all right, let's put this in the bank and, like, let's save for your kids. Yes, <laughs> college. <laughs> right, college and all of that stuff. And I knew it was something I had to do. So I'm really glad and thankful that I had my collaboration with the Warriors to even, like, make something like that happen. I wanted to touch on that homebody experience. Sure. Because it was the first time that I actually saw augmented reality Mm. so beautifully intertwined with Mm -hmm. visual art. Uh I've never seen something like that. I mean, I've seen other people try. Yeah. But it wasn't the way you did it. Oh. And so I wanted to know, what are your feelings about tech now and art, Mm -hmm. especially augmented reality and now AI being so like... Well, also, I, I used AI in the show. And I think... Right now, it's trendy to create AI art Mm -hmm. and be like, this is AI. But really, AI is a tool. It's not like it's this (laughs) sentient being. It's a tool. And I feel like artists can really utilize it in that way. So, for example, 
And there's a room called isolation that had 75 pieces of fabric hanging from the ceiling. Mm -hmm. And those pieces of fabric had a photograph of this model that we shot. And it was his face, like, basically split up into all these different pieces of fabric. And then we used AI to animate my paintings on top of a moving video of his face. So even if you were standing in that room, you wouldn't even be able to tell what was going on. But instead, it created this really beautiful abstract movement of color, like, dripping down the fabric. But yeah, that was a way that we used AI. And it wasn't really like, hey, this is an AI piece. Yeah. But it's like, look, this is what AI can be used for. That was one part of it. And then there was another room where I had 10 paintings like floating in the space. And it was, thank you. And it was like people's faces. And then it would fade into like silhouettes of statues. And the faces were all AI generated faces. So none of those people were real. I actually took those faces from this is not a real person.com. So the theme of Homebody, for people who don't know, um, the theme of Homebody was to explore what we went through mentally, psychologically during our time in isolation during the pandemic. So this room, it was called Collaboration, where it was 10 paintings hanging in a space. I pictured it like kind of like a Zoom chat room. Mm -hmm. But also, I just also pictured it as just bunch of people online together but not you know like I think the big slogan during that time was like together but apart Mm -hmm. so all of these people are together but they're not touching they're just kind of floating near each other during the pandemic I mean and now and always there's always these you know like political divides and conversations and arguments over the internet Mm -hmm. and so in this room it was a way to represent people on the internet I thought it was going to be important to use AI-generated faces because it was like, you know, the people that we might be arguing with might not even be real. They're bots sometimes, a lot of the time. A lot of the people on Twitter just, like, spewing shit out. It's like our bots. And I remember I came across an article, might have been the New York Times, where I think someone was, like, a big, like, Trump personality. Like, they were writing a lot about Trump spreading a lot of like right-wing ideology everything could have had someone behind that account but the face the avatar they used they actually took from this is not a real person.com so it was just like are we all in this room like are we all together on a zoom call having a zoom birthday or a wedding or are we all arguing on the internet with robots and (laughs) you know what i mean ai yeah an ai It was interesting because it wasn't really meant to evoke emotion. Like, I knew the isolation room with, like, the strips of fabric and stuff were going to be emotional for some people. That room was more just like, well, it's a bunch of faces, like, on screens. Because I painted on literal screens Mm -hmm. over Ganza. But then, like, I noticed some people were crying in the room. I mean, well, and it was a trip because people were crying in different rooms. I didn't expect the emotional impact. But I noticed a few people crying in the collaboration room. And someone told me that it felt like they were mourning the people that we had lost during the pandemic. And, like, the faces looked like memorials. They were just, like, glowing and and they're smiling. And and then it would fade away into stardust and clouds. I'm just like, damn. I wasn't trying to do that. But, yes, like... It was really crazy how it really like brought up emotions for people to even see people that weren't real and to shed a tear said a lot about just like, I don't know what we had gone through and how much emotions that we had been carrying. And so, yeah, I, uh, I really want to create more spaces like that. I'm really realizing that I feel like I do my best work when I'm tapping into emotions just because I think I am a very emotional person. So, yeah, I hope to do more like that. Yeah, I do remember the stardust. Because that was also something that really spoke to me and that there's that quote, we're all stardust. Mm. I don't know if that or we are all made of stardust. Yes, that's the quote. Thank also you. a Moby lyric. Oh. So that's the second time we're mentioning him. I'm not even like a huge Moby person, but yeah. 
But yeah, that's my thought. I didn't know it was AI. Mm-hmm. It might have said that in the description. Maybe I Yeah. No, it, I don't think I did. And I meant for it to be like that because I didn't want it to be an AI show. Mm-hmm. I guess I could have like maybe gotten some press on the AI side of things. But you were ahead of its time, though. Yeah. I mean, I would say so. I feel like now AI has become really huge, huge. Back then, we were just really starting to explore like the possibilities. So going back to your question, I am interested in AI as a tool. AI is not going anywhere. Mm-mm. The things, the applications AI can be used for, for um for film and television and movies and stuff, I think a lot of it applies to like the way that we can create like art mm-hmm. and motion graphics and all that sort of thing. I think it's a beautiful thing. Uh, there are going to be people that are going to lose their jobs, which is really scary That's because, part, yeah. and I feel lucky in this way and privileged that I'm an artist who's valued for my voice. People like to follow my work and buy my work because they think that I have a specific voice or story that I'm trying to tell. And that's how it is with most artists and galleries that have followings. You know, people want to buy someone's piece at a gallery because their background might influence the kind of work that they make. You know, like Mm -hmm. the person behind the work is more the selling point. Exactly. And then the art, I think, comes after for a lot of people. But when you're talking about straight visuals, like I want an illustration that looks like this. I want a logo that looks like this. So easy to replicate now. And then, yeah, there's the issue of these machines are learning through like the data we're giving it. And so the data that we're feeding it is like visuals that already exist. Mm -hmm. And so then it makes things weird for copyrights. I don't know. How do you legally put like regulations on stuff like that because as it stands right now we have laws that allow artists to create parody work we can make movies that parody other movies it might look like the other movie but we're making fun of it we're making a statement you know so it's like parody laws like protect art in that way but now that like you've got ai art that's creating art that looks like someone else's art Mm -hmm. But is not exactly that art? It's actually a new thing. Yeah. It's an entirely new piece by itself. How do you regulate that? And I think that's going to be something for like lawyers and like <laughs> and the courts to yeah. figure out. Maybe the I think there's going to have to be like some crazy landmark case. Mm-hmm. Like for me as an artist who works a lot with brands, it's these landmark cases that have been able to like set a precedent for the work that I do. So I know that years ago, like H&M and Mercedes-Benz, I think got in a lot of trouble for using certain like graffiti artists' work in their ads. And I remember it was all over like the art news. And I think the judges ruled that, you know, the artist needs to be uh, compensated even if the work is graffiti mm-hmm. and it shows up on a public wall, you can't park a car in front of that public wall and then like try to use that for an ad. You have to compensate because that person's specific, like very unique work shows up in the thing. Mm-hmm. And so from that, like that's helped me to navigate those spaces with brands like, hey, if you're going to use my work in this way, I'm going to have to be compensated or if it shows up on a TV show and my mural is in the background, I need to be compensated, you know? And so, yeah, something's going to happen with AI where someone's really going to get ripped off or something, and then the judges are going to have to rule, like, can this be a thing? I don't know. So it is scary. And the thing is, is that I'm more... Okay, so, yes, I think we are going to lose a lot of jobs, and it's going to be really scary, but that's going to be like the public in general. I think a lot of people are going to lose jobs and it's going to create like a real shift mm-hmm. in the workforce and all that sort of thing. But the thing I'm most scared about with AI is not really its threat to art because like I said, maybe this way we're going to value artists even more. If all this AI art is showing up, flooding the market, it's flooding and saturating the market and then 
real art by real artists is going to become more valuable. I think it's only going to raise yeah our value. And so that I'm not afraid of, but I'm afraid of just AI's threat to humanity. Q mm, uh, Terminator. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I was feeling, I was like, I give us 10 years and that's very, like, I just, it's scary. It is a little, scary. like, it's actually, it's like, it's really freaking me out. Like, like I said, I'm a very emotional person. Like, I just, it's, I've been, scary. I've been thinking about it a lot. It. And maybe after this, we can shift gears. <laughs> I'm like, oh, because uh, now also Twitter, you can buy a blue check, I think. Yeah, right? you can. So I think someone created an AI generated picture of the Pentagon getting blown up or there's an explosion oh, God. next to the Pentagon. Uh-huh. Then someone bought a Twitter account, bought a blue check, and made it the name like Bloomberg News. Oh no. So now there's a Bloomberg News account with a blue check mark posting this AI generated. Yeah. yeah. I mean, our parents like they're falling for phishing scams. Oh yeah. You got someone randomly texting your phone like, hey. Or calling. Or calling, with yeah. With voice. Right. But, like, the phishing scams aren't even AI right now. Like, a lot of them are just some random person, like, sending text messages to phone numbers. No, there are some AI. Oh, right. Yeah. But, I mean, like, aside from that, like, before AI even was getting into mm-hmm. this whole thing, it was a lot of just, like, hacker types and bots. Yeah, yeah. And our parents were falling for that. And a lot of people who don't know how to discern between like what's real and fake were falling for that. So can you imagine when AI starts to really, it's going to create a lot of mayhem. Yeah, because it's also creating actual video of people. Yeah. Like there was one with like Trump dancing or something. Right, right. Or Biden giving a speech Uh and it was all AI generated. Yeah. I mean, maybe it's going to like sharpen our... Or it's gonna be. Or it's just like, oh, it's we're, all dumb. we're all dumb too. Cause like, I'll see some stuff. I'm like, oh, I don't know. That was AI. <laughs> Missy Elliott posted on Twitter a video of an alien. Uh huh. And everyone's freaking out. And I was like, that's totally AI. Yeah. See, okay. And then you got celebrities like sharing this. So, okay, celebrities were sharing the Bloomberg thing. Mm-hmm. Actual media outlets were sharing oh, the Bloomberg. No. That's why that yeah, scares that's why me. It's Cause really it's like. Scary. This can happen so quickly. Oh, yeah. And then people will make rash decisions based on these things that trusted news sources or what look to be trusted news sources are sharing. So we're in for a wild ride. I know. I was like, I was telling my husband, if we bring a child into this world, we have to start training him to be the next John Connor. I was joking at the time, but now I'm like, it might be okay to teach my son how to like start a fire yeah and, like yeah. hot wire car just in case mm-hmm. that's so funny though real quick because i have the same train of thought like i wear contacts and i'm just like i'm gonna need to get lasik this is why i got LASIK. shut up yeah. that's so funny because i'm like because if the robot <laughs> uprising happens and I'm going to have to take off like running. I don't have my contact, contact sol- solution. <laughs> You're going to have to go to CVS <laughs> and all the contacts. Oh, God, that's be so gone. Yeah, I'm just like, yeah, because everyone's going to be hoarding stuff. I mean, obviously we saw with the paper, uh, toilet paper. I know. And that wasn't even anything. The toilet paper companies were like, we got enough toilet paper. Like, what are you guys doing? But yeah, like I think about like just something popping off and i'm like oh you gotta leave now oh you forgot your glass <laughs> human books uh, appointment for lasik i know as you're driving <laughs> out of lie um so no but that's exactly why i got it and also i was pregnant i didn't want my mm. son just grabbing at my glass uh, uh, uh-huh. but you yeah. like it would you re- recommend i do okay but the effed up thing about this is they didn't tell me that they gave me one prescription and one eye and 2020 and the other. Whoa. Why is that? They, how come they wouldn't give you 2020 and both? They said, oh, because you're older thing. Mm. And so you're going to need reading glasses soon. So now that we did that, you, you're you not going to need reading glasses. Hmm. But I would have liked to make the decision. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> so don't go where I went. Okay. <laughs> but definitely get it. Uh-huh. We speak about being a mother. Mm-hmm. I am a new mom. Congrats. To my yeah. first. I mean, he just turned one. Oh. But I feel like I'm still learning how to be a mom mm-hmm. and also balance work and mm-hmm. also art and my craft 
and I know you have two beautiful children. Mm-hmm. How do you balance the time and energy to be a mom to an infant and toddler and then also do your work? Coffee. <laughs> That's why I got a big <laughs> coffee with me right now. It's like we actually went to Disneyland yesterday and it was just me and my husband. We could not tell our oldest that we we're going to Disneyland without her. But yeah, just I don't know. I'm still struggling. And the thing is, is that I have a lot of help. Unfortunately, our parents can't really help us. My mom helps sometimes, but she's got like health things that prevent her from like really helping us too much. So there's daycare and then we've got like a nanny and stuff. And even with all that help, it's like still Mm -hmm. it's like part of parenting like that people don't talk about is like the mental energy, especially for moms. Yeah. Because moms are like, and now I know why my mom was always worrying. Like when I'd come home late in high school, I was like, why are you still up? <laughs> like, oh, I'm never going to sleep. Yeah. Like, because sometimes like we'll let my daughter, my baby, like cry it out a little bit because we know like that's how she soothes herself sometimes to sleep is she needs to get herself a little bit tired. But, you know, sometimes it's not about soothing and sometimes there's really something wrong mm-hmm. and that she needs attention. And so I can't just like fall asleep if she's like awake in her crib, you know. Yeah. And so like it's been hard for me to even travel, which is like what I have to do a lot of the time for my work is travel. For some reason, my kids love to get sick every time I leave. Like they're fine leading up to it. And then I'm gone. Like I was doing a program at Harvard recently, like a few weeks ago. Everything was great. And this would be the first time I left, like, for a significant amount of time. Yeah. As soon as I left, I think, like, within the first day, they all caught a stomach bug, including the nanny. So then the nanny couldn't work. So then my husband was sick and then had to take care of, like, two sick kids. And it was a lot. But, yeah, a lot of it is just, like, the mental energy of, like, making sure everything is going smoothly. I mean, I'm sure you were like constantly checking the monitor or like all the time. Is my baby breathing? Okay, good. Yeah. Yeah. Checking the monitor on our date. It's a lot. I mean, I waited a good amount of time before having kids because I felt like it was really important to be able to afford them. Mm -hmm. And so at least now I can afford daycare and a nanny, you know? So like, I'm happy that we could do that, but it's still a lot. It's still a lot, a lot of energy. And especially during COVID, because like if one kid got COVID, like the entire daycare would shut down Mm-mm. and it would come out of nowhere. They'd be like, we have an exposure. <laughs> and so I'm like, okay, I guess my daughter's coming with me to the studio today. And then when there'd be an exposure to COVID, then they would shut down the school for like another week. Uh, yeah because then it would give them time to get tested yeah and like the kids right and so it was like a whole thing so that just threw another thing into it and it's funny because part of my inspiration for homebody because it came during the pandemic and at the start of the pandemic I think my daughter was about eight months old Mm -hmm. so and I was a new mom so I was feeling a lot of things because I feel like I had postpartum depression. I was just going to say, you probably had postpartum. Yeah, I wasn't like diagnosed or anything, but I remember feeling like I was in a really dark place because we had to let our nanny go because she was elderly. And, you know, the elderly were the most like vulnerable. So now it was me with my baby and... I couldn't do my work. And she was also like not the easiest baby either. It was really hard because it felt like my entire body was dedicated to this person. Like it wasn't my own Mm -hmm. because like I was using my body to feed her, to carry her, to do everything. And so by the end of the day, I was so touched out. It felt like a really um, dark period. And I wasn't sure if it was postpartum or just regular pandemic depression. It was all the things. Yeah. (laughs) And then I remember, like, because you were talking about, like, should I be training my kid to be the next, like, John Connor? Because also that year was, like, when the sky turned, like, orange. I remember that. I was freaking out. And I'm like, what did I do? Like, I just brought a child into this world. What world is she going to grow up Mm -hmm. into? Yeah. What should I be teaching her to survive in this new world? And I've always been very... (laughs) 
I've always been very doom and gloom about that stuff. Like it adds to my like daily anxiety thinking about things like that, like the future and stuff. Like I said, like a lot of it's mental energy because when it actually comes down to it, there's not much that's required with taking care of a kid, you know, like you feed them, you hang out with them, keep them alive, keep them alive. That's not that hard. But I think a lot of it is just like the energy. How do I make this a teachable moment? Mm. Is this the time to be talking to them about this? Probably not when they're having a tantrum. Maybe I'm going to have to wait, you know, and then on top of that, like I'm following some like parenting Instagrams and sometimes I'm like, wait, this is BS, you know, and like, because, you know, everyone's going to just do it their own way anyway. And I think what it is cool about parents of our generation is that we are taking more into consideration the mental health of mm-hmm. our kids and really not trying to traumatize them. Not bringing them to Easter in the Philippines. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. So I think that's cool. But I think what that also leads to like helicopter parenting and it's finding that balance. It's finding a balance. And so fine, like they're going to cry. But also, what should I be doing? Should I be, like, teaching her that this isn't good behavior mm. and, like, kind of disciplining her? Should I give her a hug? You know? And so a lot of it is just, like, I think I'm just having, like, decision fatigue mm-hmm. as a parent. is just, like, trying to figure it all out. And then now I got to pack her lunch. What's she going to have? <laughs> like, what am I going to make for dinner? And it's a lot of that. But at the end of the day, I mean, they're humans. Just don't. Let them run into the street and, you know, make sure they're breathing. (laughs) Because the rest of that is easy. Yeah, I love how it kind of goes full circle to, like, chaos and control. Yeah, right, right. Right. And, like, and learn from past generations. Like, I definitely don't want to raise my son the way I was raised. Mm -hmm. Speaking of helicopter parenting. Mm -hmm. Would you say that you were raised with helicopter parenting? Oh, yeah, my mom was totally strict. Interesting. Um, but she had to be. She was a single mom. Oh, uh-huh. So, you know, my dad was completely opposite. Like, he was just off Whatever. doing drugs. Oh, <laughs> uh-huh. You know, uh-huh. so it, it was both. But I think about it now, and I'm like, I don't want to be a helicopter parent. Mm-hmm. But also, like, this is my only son. And mm-hmm. like you, I waited so long. Yeah. So... It's finding that balance. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Is there any advice you would give to new moms who are also artists and trying to girl keep creating? Just find pockets to create, but also know that things are never going to be the same again. <laughs> and I think that's what made it hard for me the first time. What added to my depression was I think there was a little bit of mourning mm-hmm. for my old lifestyle. Grieving because I used to travel often to paint. And then on top of that, now the world was shut down. So it's like, you really can't go anywhere. You thought you were going to go here. Nope. But realizing that you're going to have to accept a new normal, and that's okay, Mm -hmm. you know, because one of the things that came as a blessing through the pandemic was, so I had all these projects lined up for 2020. I was actually getting ready to come out of maternity leave so that I can do these projects and I was going to fly around and paint again and then the pandemic happened I remember posting I was like yeah coming out of maternity leave like let's do this and then it's like nope <laughs> shut down. yeah shut down and then like almost all of my projects got canceled <laughs> so I think that added to just like that morning period and yeah and just thinking like damn like I need to go to the studio to work I need x amount of hours I need to do this and it needs to be like this And now with my second, it's been trying to adapt because I do have kids and I've realized like this is your priority now. Your energy, most of it's going to be spent here. Mm -hmm. But if you want to keep a piece of yourself, you're just going to have to like find it in little places instead of carving it out because it's not going to work like that. You can't carve out X amount of time because something can always happen. So I feel like the way I create my art now, I mean, I do have a schedule because we do have like childcare and stuff, but I do feel like a lot of it is reactive now to will I have time because I'm busy with my children, you know, and there was a time where I was just finding 30 minutes here, and 30 minutes there. And that was 
how I would even get to make work. Mm. Like, okay, an hour on my iPad, 30 minutes in the studio. Okay, done. And what actually I ended up finding out was that I feel like it made me a better artist mm. wow. because I was working more instinctively because I only had like a very short amount of time to work. So it's like, all right, better do it good. I learned how to paint quickly mm -hmm. and I learned to go with my gut and go with the first idea, which is usually the best one. Cause that's like what your body's telling you is like, go with this, you know, but I take that back. The first idea is not always the best <laughs> idea, but for me, I mean, like, I feel like it, it usually is like when I created the jerseys for the Golden State Warriors, I think I came up with, I think I came up with like 15 to 20 designs and the ones they ended up using was the very first one that I worked on. And so, yeah, working in that way where it's just, all right, quick, quick, quick. Yeah, I think it actually helped me as an artist to also just like, I don't want to say compartmentalize, but as a parent, you just have less time for BS. Yes. Because back when I used to grieve my old life, I'd be like, oh. <laughs> If I could just go into the studio right now and just spend a whole day, because a big part of the creative process is thinking. Mm -hmm. Even if you're in the studio and you don't make anything, a lot of it is, I don't know, just like brainstorming and stuff. Because then I started realizing, wait, no, when I was in L.A. in my studio, I remember I was just spinning around on my computer chair for like three hours and then like maybe go get like a coffee downstairs and then I would start but like now as a mom it's like all right only got this amount of time let's go so you don't have the luxury of procrastination yeah and yeah. as a writer I hella feel that yes yeah <laughs> like, yeah can I clean now right right so I find just little spaces like when I'm in a waiting room mm. I'll be writing ideas or sketching ideas down or something and so I feel like I know how to utilize my time really well efficiently and then that's how you realize like moms are really superheroes freaking we have because we're about we're balancing so many things mentally mentally yes and it really drains you and every moment is like i'm either writing a shopping list for or i am doing this or you know what i mean and there's so many like balls that we're juggling in the air so that would be my advice is just Whatever you're doing before, it's not going to work now. It's different. And you're on another level. I feel like. <laughs> yeah. And well, and also it's hard to be an artist mom. I do feel like I'm isolated in a lot of ways because I feel like I don't have too many people. One of my best friends is an artist mom. Um, so I'm really glad that we get to talk every day and stuff. But I don't know too many people in my position that are a creative full-time that also has children because part of being an artist is being an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. I represent myself. I don't have a manager and I also have a team. So on top of like figuring out my kids stuff and stuff for the house and my art, I'm also delegating things like to people and it requires a lot of work. So whenever I know an artist person or a person in a creative industry who is pregnant or, yeah, about to have a kid, I get so excited for them because I'm like, join the club. Because yeah. also, like, I do know a lot of artist dads. And, you know, no offense to all the artist dads, but they still get to, like, travel and do all... Like, there's something about mom, right? Mom being, like, the comfort. Mm -hmm. And artist dads, like they still get to enjoy a lot of like the same lifestyle stuff. They're doing a little more, you know, their lifestyles have changed, but a lot of them are still painting murals around the world and then coming home to their family. And I don't necessarily have that same luxury luxury, because, like I said, I have the mental thing where I'm always thinking what's going on. Like it was really hard for me to do this like Harvard program a few weeks ago when everyone was sick. Cause I was just checking my phone like the whole time and making sure that everything was okay. And so it's hard and I can't necessarily like bring them all with me yeah. all the time because my husband has his own job and all that sort of thing. So it's tough. 
Well, they say with mothers, because, you know, when the child's in the womb, there's an exchange of DNA. Mm -hmm. So I feel as a mother, you actually can feel your child when they're sick or hurting. Yeah. And it like triggers something within you. Yeah. This instinct where it's like, I need to be there because Mm -hmm. that is literally a part of me. Yeah. Yeah. Even though they're their own human, they have their own personality, their own brain. Yeah. This person is a part of me so it's really hard especially when they're young yeah yeah so I get that yeah during the pandemic I was supposed to do all these things but a blessing that came out of it was that I was able to stay home and see my daughter's like first year you know and just like be there with her and yeah really witness like all the day-to-day things because they like when they're that young like every day is a new baby yeah. You know, like now she's saying this and now she's crawling and now she's standing up. And those are things that I would have missed if I was traveling often. I feel that too. Mm-hmm. I was watching the videos last night and I was like, I don't want to delete it, but my phone is literally running out of storage. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Uh huh. <laughs> but yeah, you witness all these things. Mm-hmm. And I too was supposed to like tour China in 2020, oh, wow. but all of that was canceled during the pandemic Mm -hmm. and I'm like well at least I got to see you walk for the first time and see mama on my birthday oh so yeah yeah huge blessing Mm -hmm. but on flip side I get it as Uh an artist Uh Mm -hmm. well thank you so much for coming to the studio you are actually our first in studio guest no way okay cool thank you amazing yeah thanks for having me yeah and it's so like I feel like it's such a blessing to get to know you and the artist behind Homebody because I was like such a huge fan. Oh, thank you so much. I'm so glad. It's actually part of why I did this business school program at Harvard was because I am trying to figure out a way to make this an ongoing thing and bringing experiences that do touch upon more emotions and not even emotions, but tapping into culture and what's going on right now in the form of immersive experiences because right now what's trendy is these experiences that feel more like cash grabs than Mm. anything in my opinion I think some people love it but they're using dead artists IP Mm. to sell work Mm -hmm. that artist wasn't here to help navigate that or they don't have any control because they're dead So, like, who knows if this is the way that they wanted their work to be shared with the public. But we have living artists with very specific things that they want to say or share and express to the public. So why not invest in living artists and create spaces for gathering and for culture? And I really want to recreate the model that we did with Homebody where... We incorporated workshops and like nighttime concert series and make it a real place where uh, an immersive experience shouldn't just be an Instagrammable moment. Sure, take pictures, but we want it to be aesthetically pleasing and beautiful and you're probably going to get a really dope selfie and (laughs) that's great. But I wouldn't want an experience to just be about that, you know, like. We want people to learn something or to take something away, whether it's in the exchange of ideas and culture or just like having a good time and memories made at like a show. Yeah. I want to create something for the culture that runs a little deeper. And I love that. And that's the intention of this podcast. Yeah. So I'm so happy you came. Yes. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Allison. Okay. We appreciate you. And yeah, good luck and many good blessings for all the babies and mamas. Thank, you, thank too. you. What I really admired about Human and appreciated was her advice to creative mothers and her insight as a thriving artist with two young children. That part was so inspiring and hella real. And some of the lessons I learned from our conversation was the importance of betting on yourself first, taking that risk and staying true to your vision for your art. Also, your intuition can lead you to some of your best work. You know, as an actor, 
and someone who lived in New York for 10 years studying improv at UCB, one of the first rules of improv is to say yes and in any scene and to go with the first thing you thought of. Getting out of your head and going with your gut often leads to a scene that connects with your audience. And although it doesn't seem like it, in improv, it's really not about being funny. It's about being authentically you and finding the truth in any scene, which I feel like draws strong parallels to humans' process and her art. Glimpses and sneak peeks of humans' newest Barong series, Veiled Intent, can be found on her Instagram at human underscore, H-U-E-M-A-N underscore. Cultural Cultivators is hosted by me, Nicole Salover. You can follow me at Kindred Kapoor. The podcast is co-produced by John Reyes and Balai Creative and is a product of Cultivate Labs. Stay in touch at belicreative.org.